0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My is Daniel Markin, and today I have the opportunity of chatting with Jake Lowell. Jake has been on the show before and he works with the organization. It's a ministry called Cyrus Center and they work with vulnerable youth here in BC. So uh, working with, you know, students, high school students or young adults who are as young as 13 and are almost living on the streets. And he helps run a shelter where he brings them in and is able to, you know, with the gospel, help get them back on their feet. So it's an amazing discussion. Hope you're encouraged by it. Hope you learn something through it. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, welcome to In Doubt, and today I'm joined by a friend of mine, Jake Lowell, and Jake is a friend of the show, but Jake, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks, Daniel. It is always always a treat to see your face uh, and chat with you, but I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, and we're
0: meeting virtually right now. I'm talking to you over Zoom, but uh, I see three faces on my screen because (laughs) you have your face, but also you have two faces on your shirt. One of them is Kobe Bryant- and Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, there you go.
1: Yeah, I'm a big, I'm not a Lakers fan now at all. I don't want that pinned on me because I'm not a big Lakers fan now. But early 2000s, Shaq and Kobe Lakers, amazing. Maybe the best duo of all time, probably probably are. That's awesome. Man. But we're not here to talk
0: about sports, Jake. Uh, we're here to talk about you and your ministry and what you've been doing, working with youth uh, in British Columbia. Uh, In particular, youth who are on the margins of society, right? Like who have been marginalized and in particular, your work with Cyrus Center uh, as an outreach worker working with homeless and vulnerable youth slash young adults. So first, Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Tell us who you are, uh, or I'd like to say, what's your deal?
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, about me. So yeah, I work right now. um, It's a place called the Cyrus Center. It's a Christian um, ministry. It's in Chilliwack, B.C. So that's what I do now. I'm an outreach worker there. So my my main work that I do is with like 19 to 24 year olds. I uh, usually the ones who are more entrenched in homelessness on the streets. Um, so I do that. But uh, yeah, sort of where I'm coming from is I did some young adults pastoring as well. I worked in the Salvation Army doing that. One of those like typical like Christian guys. Like grew up in a Christian family. My parents were pastors. That sort of thing. But also, like we were saying before, like I love just in general, personally, I love sports. I love watching sports. I used to love playing sports more than I do now because I'm not in the shape that I used to be. Um, but None I, of us are. <laughs> <laughs> after that year of uh, being inside and eating snacks all the time, not exactly in the shape I want to be, but that's okay.
0: Well, there's always bobsledding, you know. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Olympic sport. Yeah. So
1: tell us a little bit
0: about working with homeless youth, because I would say that's something that growing up, I was not aware of. So is that common? Is it more common than we think? And, and how does that happen?
1: Yeah, so I think it's definitely more common than people think, like for sure. Because I think there are a lot of people, and, that, and this isn't like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's, we just don't know that there's a lot of people out there who just aren't aware of it at all. I think an important thing though too is like also to define terms of what that means. Because I think we get this idea in our head sometimes of like, oh, there is no homeless youth because we have a very specific idea in our head of what homelessness looks like. For, for us who like live maybe in BC, you look at like East Hastings um, and just like the rampant homelessness there. And like a lot of adults and they're sleeping on the street or we look at like movies and we see people with like, you know, the littlest hobo, <laughs> like you know, like a stick. <laughs> a and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or people sleeping like cardboard boxes and stuff. And not that that doesn't happen, um, but there's like a huge spectrum to what that means. And yeah, there are definitely youth that I work with that are like legitimately homeless that live on the street, that live in tents or like camp out in the woods or whatever that may mean but like we use the terms um two terms one more than the other now the original term was at risk youth kind of like gotten away from that term because it doesn't have some like it doesn't have great connotations to it because i think people immediately sort of assume that that means oh these youth are a risk to the community that's sort of what they took from it is that they're a danger to us when that's not what that meant at all what at risk meant was that they themselves are at risk of being exploited, of being abused, of being trafficked, all those sort of things, which is why now, sort of more at the heart of it, we've switched to the term vulnerable youth because they are very vulnerable um, in terms of those things, again, in terms of exploitation. Um, But probably what it looks like for the average youth that we work with, or like a homeless youth, that could be like couch surfing, which is a thing, which is like, they're not living on the street, but they don't have like a home base that they go to. Maybe they stay at this friend's house or maybe they stay at this friend's house. Uh, We'd also qualify youth or young adults who are like staying at different shelters as technically homeless um, because they don't have that place of their own that they're living in. So those are those things. Yeah, it could be a whole, like a whole host of different things that they're working with. Some youth do live at home, but we'd still classify them as vulnerable because of the things that happen when they're at home. Like, just because someone has a home doesn't mean it's healthy or safe.
0: Right. It could be violent. It could be abusive. It could be sexually abusive. Like, there's all sorts of stuff. And so they're getting out of there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How how often is that the case versus youth who have then, you know, maybe become drug addicts through, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant to this, right? But like, you know, they, at first it was just kind of fun recreational drugs and the home was actually pretty solid, but through their actions, they would now ended up on the streets because it occurs to me that, like, if it was more of a, perhaps like a, a wealthier family, maybe they would actually be able to afford rehab, you know, because th- I've had friends who've gone through that and their families were able to afford that. But in, you know, specifically low-income areas, for example, that would not be a reality. So how, I guess part, how, what, what I want to frame this is, is, Oftentimes, if you fall on more of a liberal spectrum of thought or theology, maybe progressive theology is a better way of putting it, you tend to view these issues and say, it's the system's fault. It's the circumstances that influence all these things that happen to the student or to this uh, youth uh, slash young adult. You know, like it's the system, it's their families, whatever. That's who's at fault for this. And if you're on the more conservative side, you tend to think, well, this is actually more their choice. Like they had a choice not to engage in some of these activities, right? What's your perspective on that? Because which one does it start with? I, I tend to think it actually does start with circumstance, even as a more conservative person, uh, theologically, I I do actually see in the scriptures and, and that there is circumstances that lead to this vulnerability that then lead to choices. How would you, uh, approach that question or how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think first too, something that's I think so important to this topic or speaking about this is asking questions because the majority of people who are talking about homelessness or people that are experiencing this or have in the past are not speaking from experience. Most of us are coming in very unprepared or unknowing into this conversation. So asking questions is a really good thing. Um, About it, and where you're saying, like, is it more on that one side or is it on the other side? I think like it tends to be like most things, it's probably somewhere like pretty close to the middle. Is it their fault? Is it their circumstances? Is there decisions that need to be made, you know, for their own sake, and that they need to have power over some things? Yes, yes to both of those things. I think one of the the biggest issues, though, is just that ignorance that we have. And I don't mean that in, in like an attacking or negative way. It's just that most people are literally ignorant of these situations. The biggest thing that you hear and probably the least helpful thing. So if anybody hears something from this, hear this. The least helpful thing you can say to a homeless person or a person experiencing homelessness or to someone that you're like driving along in the car with as you go down East Hastings is, why don't they just get a job? Those sort of things, like that's just so unhelpful. And that shows, and I've been in cars with, with young adults and other people as we're like driving to go do whatever. And they're just like, all these people, you know, if they just got a job, you know, they would they would be fine. So why don't they just do that? Because it's so easy to do that. And then we just make these huge assumptions of what that is like or what their scenario is like right now and what it would take for them to go from living on the street homeless to getting a job. But maybe like where I can start with that is like, where does it come from? And you're right. Like it is circumstances. Like if people are familiar, sometimes we kind of stray away from this cause we don't really get it in, in the Bible. Like the, the idea of generational sin, you want to see the impact of generational sin and things in people's lives. Come, come, take a tour of Cyrus Center with me, and I will show you that these youth, through generation after generation after generation of people, are struggling with the same things within their families, and that it's just cyclical. And what that comes from is is trauma. Right? Because I think you asked the question of, you know, where does, you know, even like with drug use, which some of, you know, these people, like probably a big proportion of them, not all of them, but a big proportion of them do struggle with is drug use. And does it start recreationally or is is that the issue? And and a really important point is that the drugs themselves, or the substances of alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, is not the issue. The drugs are the self medication for the issue that has occurred at some point beforehand. So sometimes we'll go like, oh, they're an addict and they do drugs just for the sake of doing drugs. That rarely is the case. It, it may never be the case because you're always taking them or using for some reason. And most of our youth start using because it helps them to escape from the incredible trauma that they probably experienced in their life. Like, imagine being. We have young females and males who are like coming to Sauer Center since they are 11 that have been verbally abused, sexually abused, or continually that way, sexually abused or physically abused or emotionally abused. And then that sits in them and obviously that like affects mental health and when you don't have the money to to like afford counseling or your parents don't care or your parents are the ones perpetrating that or the parents you know the people around you that should care for you are the perpetrators of that it's not as easy as just going like i'm going to go to a counselor or i'm going to get this figured out but you know what is available a lot of the time is is substances and using those helps them escape from those things for a moment is it good no is it understandable for their circumstances. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. And I think what you described there, that is that middle view, right? It's kind of like, there you go. There's the mix of both. Right. And so, man, as you work with, with these youth and when you work with young adults, what's the most heartbreaking piece of this?
1: What breaks your heart? Um, So much. Like So, so much of it is, is heartbreaking. Like it's, I, I think, like, just seeing, like, imagine, like, for those who are listening, like, imagine if you have nieces or nephews or kids. Um, because again, we we serve like 13 through 24, but we do get kids who wander in who are like 10, 11, 12 as well. So, like, picture a kid that you know that that is that age, and then picture them smoking meth or fentanyl or heroin and on the street and then through that maybe they've developed you know a drug-induced psychosis so there's mental health issues there too and then maybe you know from that you know that addictions then they need to serve that addiction they don't have any way to serve that addiction so then they need to find a way to serve that and a lot of the ways that they do that is from you know other people who do have the means but then they expect something else from them besides money And a lot of the times, you know, we have like 13-year-old girls who are being raped because they need in some way to serve their addictions. That is unfathomable that that's happening. It's almost like hard to gauge unless you're there what that would feel like because it just doesn't feel real that there are 12-year-old girls out there selling, you know, their body selling sex to be able to substances or maybe not even that maybe they're just you know sexually abused or males as well and that that like just breaks breaks me because like you you want to help them so bad but it's just such a tight grip on them so it's such because you see the value in them and i think i think the most heartbreaking part is when we get youth who come in and they're you know they're doing all right. And you see them healthy and you see them thriving. And then somehow along the line, maybe they make a bad connection or with someone. And then you can just see the soul, the life pulled out of them. It's just, it's devastating. Again, I think it comes back to that point, right? Like what we experience as homelessness is seeing people in the trenches of homelessness. The general experience of that is not seeing someone go from like, here's this kid that was born and this like beautiful baby to like a child. And then this and this progression from like here to over here. And that's the heartbreaking piece.
0: It sounds like it takes a long time. And it sounds like the solution also takes a long time. I mean, it's similar with weight, right? Like people gain weight slowly. And then they, they're they promised, oh, you could lose all your weight. Like, you know, you could lose 30 pounds in a week. It's like, no, that's not how it works. It took you that that amount of time it took you two months to gain that weight. It might take you two months to lose it. It just, nothing, in like we live in a microwave society where everything's supposed to be instant. And there are some things in life that aren't instant. And, and what you're describing is a gradual slip into there. It makes sense that it's actually going to be a gradual pull out of it.
1: Yeah, and and like you're saying there too, like that's that's so important because we come back to that idea of like, oh, just go get a job. So I that's the work that I do. I work with these youth who are at different levels of homelessness or addictions or whatever. And I go, how can I help you? And I just let them say, help me do this. And I go, okay, let's do that. Let's say we're going to get a job for someone who is entrenched homeless on the street. And we go, why don't they just walk and get a job? Because that's what I could do, right? I could put my resume down and go, you know, McDonald's or anywhere and go like, give me a job. And I probably would get a job. I hope I would get a job (laughs) if I walked into Mm -hmm. McDonald's and did that. Um, So we have this idea that it's, it's that easy, but Thought experiment here for a second. Imagine you're living on the street. Most of them don't have ID, first of all, because it like their stuff just gets stolen, maybe daily. So they don't have ID. So they come to me and they say, hey, Jake, to do anything, I need ID. And I'll be like, do you have anything like birth certificates or like PC ID? And they'll go, no. So we'll go, okay, we first have to go get you a birth certificate. So we go to get them a birth certificate. When we go to get them the birth certificate, they say, prove it. Prove who you are. And they go, I have no ID. And then they go, okay, if you have no ID, what you have to do is we'll give you this paper. And then six months from now, you have to get a service worker to sign this. who can attest to knowing you for that long so you can get this birth certificate. So it's at least six months. So then they go and do that. So they get that. And then six months later, they're like, okay, I want to burst to hit. They order that. And we have to go to Service BC and get them ID as well. They don't love only having one piece of ID. So that can be a challenge too. You get the ID because you need the ID too. Because if you go into a place to work, they're like, we're going to need a bank account. If you don't have an ID, you can't get a bank account. So they have no bank account. They have no way to you know, put money in their account or direct deposit or anything. So you eventually do that. Maybe this is a year later of consistent work just to get to the place where I could apply for a job. And then you go in and they go, what's your job history? You've gone to school. Do you have a criminal record? Because everybody asks that question now. And most of them do. That doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that stuff has happened and you know they've, they've gotten in trouble in that way. So then they'll ask that and then go, oh, I don't know. So then you have all these other issues besides just getting those necessary things. It's like, where are you going to live? How are you going to clean your uniform if you need to do that? How are you going to shower? How are you going to get to work? How are you going to get back from work? You know, what are you going to do with your money? So there's all of these things. Admits like maybe they're in the throes of addiction. And so it, it is such a long, careful path to work alongside them to get them to that point. And you know what, maybe they're never at the point where they do get there, right? For some of them, because like mental health is rampant, that they might not be at that place. Some of them are, some of them, there's incredible like recovery stories. But there's some people who, you know, live that life as they keep going. And that doesn't mean that we stop working with them or loving them just because they don't fulfill what we want them to fulfill or what we would think is good for them. Wow, (laughs) there's a
0: lot there. And what I sense is the work that you do, you literally couldn't do without the gospel. How does the gospel transform what you're doing? How does it fuel what you do? And then how does it transform the youth? And have you been able to see some fruit through the gospel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. And that's like the key. And one of the biggest reasons that I work at Cyrus Center because it's a ministry, right? We're Christians, we, we do that, we're free to share the gospel and and work that in in unique ways. And you know, the hope that comes from the gospel just permeates every single area of the work that I do. It permeates my personal reaction to it and my dealing with seeing all of that stuff at work. Knowing that there's a God out there who who's just, and you know what, there's justice for the young girl who's sexually abused there's justice for the young man who gets murdered on the street again whether that's on the perpetrator or whether that's on the back of Christ as he's on the cross like i know there's justice there so i don't have to sit and come home and think like this stuff goes on and nothing will happen with it so like i take a lot of hope in that but yeah working with the youth knowing that there's something for them that's so much greater than than this Like, there's a hope for them that I can speak to them about that goes beyond their circumstances. Because, again, for some of them, you know what? They may never leave what we think of the idea of homelessness, but they may be a faithful Christian, admits that. So, like, that possibility there is just incredible. The big thing, too, is like, I think for a lot of people, we would go in and go like, how does the Bible help me save them? And there is. There is really good things that help me to serve them well. Uh, I think we just have a call to it. We're all called to it biblically. It's not just about how do I use scripture to understand how to serve them well. It's how do I read scripture and understand I am so blessed by these people. First of all, I'm not saving them. Jesus is saving them. Which takes a lot of weight off. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and that's, you know, on that one side, right? Like eventually I cannot force them to do anything. I can love them as best as I can, whether that's through treatment or going to court with them or finding them housing. But eventually it does come down to them. But in that, it's also the Lord's work in their life. So I don't have to be, responsible for the the fruit i have to be responsible for the faithfulness so i faithfully serve and then them in in coordination with the lord the fruit is produced there i don't need that weight but like man they are saving me as much as i'm saving them in any sense and you see that you see that in scripture like mark 12 the widow's offering And this woman who comes amidst all these people who are just bringing riches and and she comes in and drops like probably like what's equivalent to like a a couple quarters for us in this pot. And like Jesus is like, that's that's the one. She has given everything. And to see these, you know, these youth that I work with who have, for some of them, just nothing. And a quick story to just emphasize that is, so we have centers in Chilliwack and Abbotsford. So this was at the Abbotsford Center. And there was another guy who has been homeless for his whole life, living like sort of working with the Salvation Army. So he's he's a homeless person. And like he's okay living that way. And then one day he walked in, talked to our executive director, Les, and he went into Les and said, Les, I, I want to do something for these homeless youth. And was like, okay, like what does that look like? Kind of like, I don't know where this is going. And he's like, I've been saving up for months and months and months and months. I have $200 and I want to throw these youth a pizza party for like the average person. You're just like, Oh, pizza party. Like, that's very nice. Like think he he has, it, there's nothing there. And he takes all of the stuff that he could buy things that he needs, food that he needs. And he's going like, I just want to bless these youth. That's Jesus. Regardless of whether or not he believes <laughs> in Christ and the resurrection, all those sort of things, that sort of behavior, that's the behavior of Christ. And that's what we see. And that's what I, you know, that's where I grow and I am blessed and I have, I've been so humbled as well. And I think with that, if there's anything that we can do in like our approach to this group of people is one, like see them as, as people speak to them. They're not dangerous more than any other people are dangerous media portrays them as all sorts of different things and the majority of them are very sweet and yeah so talk to them if you see someone on the like on the street just say good morning and just love them like love them well because our tendency is to i think be a little bit willfully ignorant you know the guy's asking for change and we go oh he's just going to use it for drugs he's going to use it for this he's going to use it for that and it's just like if you have a dollar or two there's another thing i heard once when i was listening uh Past, I think it was John Piper listening to a podcast by him and he was going like you get to the pearly gates and God's not gonna stop you at the door and say, Hey, you gave some money that you had to a homeless person in the hopes that they used it for a good reason. I don't like that. I would never say that. You know, so if you do, don't feel guilt about sharing that with them. That's like just, you know, made up vitriol from our from our society. And that gives you an opportunity to go, hey, man, I would just love to chat with you, though. And just love them in that way. Because they're people, they have the same desires that we have.
0: Well, like and like we, we talked about, and just I guess in closing here is, we are a few circumstances or decisions away from where they are. And that's humbling.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I could tell you a slew of stories um, from working at the Salvation Army of Adults. Who were booming in business making it good had a family were doing really well and now they're living on the streets in the throes of addiction so i can't be prideful enough to say hey that might not be me one day and i hope if i was in that position that the people who engage with me would love me well
0: amen well jake thank you man i mean we could keep going on about this. I have so many more questions and we'll just definitely have to have you back on the program. Uh, if people want to get involved with Cyrus Center and maybe donate or figure out different ways to support, how, how do they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our website is cyruscenter.com. You can go on there that has all the information for like everything like donating. It has our contact information. I again, I work at the Chilliwack location So literally if anybody's listening to this right now and they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to learn more. I want to hear more about this. I would love to chat with Jake. Call Cyrus Center Chilliwack and I'll probably pick up. I'll say, hi, Jake. And just say like, Hey, Jake, like I listened to in doubt. Like I would love to come see the place. I'd love to have a tour. I'll give you a tour. I'd love to meet some of the youth. I'll absolutely introduce you to the youth and go on from that. There's also the opportunity to donate financially, which is great. Uh, We have a meal train, which is on our website as well. So you can provide meals to serve because we serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner there too. You can just donate. So you could donate food to us as well or like nice clothing or like blankets and stuff in the winter and other things in the summer. So there's so many ways. I'll even say our our phone number, call right now, 604-795-5773. Call me at that number. I'll pick up at Chillock Cyrus Center or ask for me there and I'd be more than happy to do anything I can to get you involved. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Jake, thank you. Thanks so much.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to this program and thank you again to Jake for being on it. If you wanna get involved with Cyrus Center, you can actually look at their website as well at cyruscenter.com. I hope that you were encouraged by this. I hope that it actually gave you some food for thought. I know it's definitely convicting to me, especially thinking about the circumstances and how we can tend to overlook those who are marginalized in our community. Thank you again for listening. All the best. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.